Uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our worship service in Melbourne. And if you happen to be visiting with us today, we extend a, a very warm welcome to you. It is indeed a gift to be called together for worship in God's presence each and every Sunday, to be directed and encouraged by the preaching, and to share in fellowship as we praise God together. We do have some announcements from your consistory. Next week, Sunday, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we ask that out of courtesy that you would advise your ward elder if you're not able to attend. Pre-Reformed Church uh, of Lagana advised that candidate Anson Van Delden has accepted the call extended to him to serve as pastor in their congregation. The collections today are for our church development fund. And the collection bag, uh, as is usual now, is at the exit door on the way out. And uh, we'd ask you to remember to use electronic means, if not using the physical means. And the, the banking details are on your liturgy sheet. Today, our own uh, Pastor Reverend DeHart will lead both of our worship services. And as always, you're welcome to enjoy a time of fellowship with refreshments after the service outside on the veranda. Now we've come to the call to worship. And so in preparation for our service, we'll take a moment uh, to reflect on God's mercy and grace towards us and prepare our hearts for worship with a call to worship. And we'll do this by listening to and reflecting on a short passage of Scripture, concluding in prayer. And this morning, it's from Hebrews 12, the verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cling so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand on the throne of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, bless the proclamation of your gospel message this morning 
and accept our songs of praise and our prayers. Please strengthen our minister to deliver your message and open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Please rise and let us begin our worship together. As we gather together for worship, let's lift up our hearts unto the Lord. And we confess together that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together from a book of praise from Psalm 111, stanzas 1 and 2. It's our custom to uh, read from God's law, the Ten Commandments, on Sunday mornings. Uh, we do this not because this is the way to be saved or, um, in that sense, to, uh, to gain some sort of a credit with God. Uh, there is no way that we could be saved through keeping this law because the law will actually teach us, remind us of our failings and our inability to keep this law on account of the fact that we are indeed tainted by sin. Even we as Christians do continue to sin. But what the law does do is that it teaches us indeed of the holiness of God and also then of the holiness that God requires of us. Then as we hear God's law, we're reminded also that this is the way that we are to live with Him, in covenant with Him, where God says, I'm your God, you're my child, and this is why you are to live in this way. As we then hear from God's law and we're convicted that we're failing to follow God as He requires, then let us um, plead for forgiveness in Christ, the only one who kept God's law perfectly, praying that indeed, as God has promised, our sin might indeed be paid through Christ, and His righteousness might then be 
imputed to us and so that God will look upon us in His grace and in Jesus Christ. And then indeed, as God's children, forgiven in Christ, we'll then be eager to want to walk with Him and to follow His ways. The Ten Commandments, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So far, the reading from God's holy law. Uh, Let's respond to this, and we'll sing together um, uh, from Psalm 103, Psalm 103, stanza 4. Let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, what a blessing it is that indeed you do deal with us in compassion. What a blessing it is that you are willing and determined to remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west when we plead for that forgiveness in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this in no ways gives to us the license to think that It doesn't matter. 
to presume upon your mercy or to upon your grace and therefore consider that how we live or what we do is of no consequence. Rather, as we reflect on your mercy and as we reflect on your forgiveness, Lord in heaven, may that drive us even more and closer into your arms and to seek you and to follow you and to be obedient to you and to follow your word in every way. For each of us, there are times when, when we feel that is not too difficult, when there are aspects of your law and of your word that we consider to be uh, straightforward and plain and correct, and, and we can easily follow that. At other times, Lord, there are things which are more difficult, and where we may also struggle, and we may wrestle with things. And certainly, Lord, the, the matter that uh, we have before us this morning, uh, with respect to uh, the roles of, of, of women and, and men also in, in the church and somewhat also in society, is a matter, Lord, which, which we wrestle with as we try to come to a right and a biblical uh, understanding of these things in a world that is awash with philosophies and, and, and ideas and, and teachings uh, which are at odds with what your word has to say. Grant each of us, therefore, a heart of submission and, and humbleness as we may submit ourselves to you and to your word. And grant us clarity and, and strength through your Holy Spirit, we pray in this. Father in heaven, we do think, thank you for the blessings you have given to us and to our congregation. Thank you, Lord, for the, the joys that, that many could experience uh, also in this past week, whether it be through, uh, through family events, through graduations, through, uh, through birthdays, uh, meeting up with different people. Thank you, Lord, for these things. We also uh, do pray, Lord, for your blessing, your care upon those who have gone through things which have been more difficult, uh, causing more pain. Uh, we do pray, Lord, for uh, the, the Hiram family who had to uh, pay their last respects to a mother, a grandmother, a sister, an aunt. Uh, we also pray for those in our own congregation who uh, mourn her loss, even as we all Rejoice in what she has gained in now being with you. Father, we also uh, do pray for those who uh, do grieve, whether that's uh, in personal circumstances, or also things which are more public, uh, due to loss of one kind or another. And Father, we do pray that you'll comfort and that you'll strengthen them, and that you'll surround them with your mercy. Lord in heaven, uh, we also do pray for your blessing upon the members of a congregation. We also pray for those who are uh, uh, expecting children and uh, anticipate uh, the birth of a child also. Uh, we pray also for, for your, your mercies in these circumstances too. We also thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the blessings which, which we have as, as a wider church community, also with the provision of, of pastors and teachers. And we do give you thanks also then this past week, uh, the candidate Anson Van Dolden did accept that call from the Church of Lugana. We do pray also for your blessing over the, the process that goes from here, uh, this examination process. And Lord, we also pray that uh, your blessing will be upon that also, and that he will be found to be, to be faithful and to be a, 
a, a good pastor and teacher for the congregation. Father in heaven, we uh, do also pray that you'll uh, grant your blessing upon the activities in Melville Church as our Bible studies are also back into a full swing of this term. We pray for your blessing upon us as we get together for that. And we pray that through this also that we may, we may grow together. Lord in heaven, we do also pray that you'll bless us now as we open your word and as we hear it read and also as we have it preached. May your name be praised and may we be blessed. We ask that you'll forgive all that is wrong, that you'll cleanse us in the blood of Christ as you've promised, and that you'll sanctify us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, it's been a few weeks uh, due to uh, everything from, from holidays to, to regular preaching exchanges, but um, uh, today I hope to uh, plan, intend to go back to, uh, to 1 Timothy and one of the, uh, the blessings of, of going through uh, a, a Bible book uh, from, from one part to the next is that we, we get to, uh, to go through all aspects of it and everything which God has revealed to us in His Word in this way. Uh, and that also uh, applies to those things which are, are more challenging. The matter which we have before us this morning is one of those more challenging uh, things, certainly for myself and wrestling with, with how to preach on this as well. Um, over the years, and also more recently, I've had many, many conversations about these matters and the roles and respective roles of, of men and women uh, in, in God's church. Um, I've been very blessed by those uh, conversations also. Even this past week, uh, when I was uh, attending Bible study, we were dealing with a, a passage on, on 1 Corinthians, uh, which dealt with many of these things as well. But today we're going to focus on 1 Timothy chapter 8, verse 1 Timothy 2, sorry, verse uh, 11 to 15, or really verse 8 to 15. We'll read that later. First of all, now, we'll sing together, we'll read, sorry, from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 9 to 20, uh, then we'll read Titus, chapter 2, and we'll leave 1 Timothy, chapter 2, until later. Genesis, chapter 3, so uh, this is really uh, the beginning of all things. Uh, chapter 1 and 2, of course, is the, the creation, and then in chapter 3, we have the fall. And so we have just had the fall into sin, where... Um, Eve, first of all, listened to the serpent and she ate of the fruit. And then she gave it to her husband and he ate of it as well. And the eyes of both of them were blind. And then in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And now the Lord has called out to them. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And so far the reading from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, let's skip over then to the New Testament, to the letter of Paul to Titus, uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, another one of the, the pastoral epistles. Paul writes to Titus, and he writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teachings show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So far the reading from uh, Genesis and Titus. Before we move to 1 Timothy, let's sing together from this song of Mary, hymn 17, verse 1, 2, 3, and 6.
Well, let's now read together from 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8 through to 15. I'll be preaching through this section with a bit of focus on verse 11 to 15. So last time, a few weeks ago, we went through the first part of this passage, which uh, urges all us to pray uh, for all people, also for those in high positions, uh, because this is good and pleasing the sight of God. Our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. Uh, we're going on to a, a new section in some ways in the, the letter to Timothy, uh, where the Apostle Paul writes the following, beginning at verse 8 in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or on gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, does the church of God have a stained glass ceiling? A stained glass ceiling for women. On the stepladder to higher positions in the church, is there a ceiling that women cannot break through? What's really going on here in 1 Timothy chapter 2? What is the Bible teaching us here about women in particular and what women can and cannot do in church? Well, most of you would have heard about a, a glass ceiling for, for women in the corporate world. Uh, in the world of business, finance, and politics. Uh, this, team, this term was first uh, uh, given by uh, a, a woman whose name was Marilyn Loden. Uh, she first used it in 1978 uh, to define that, that sometimes there was this, this invisible barrier to success for many women in their careers. And what Marilyn Loden, she noted, was that while women in a time, they were able to climb the career ladder to the rung of, of middle management, it seemed almost impossible to progress beyond that. Cultural barriers were holding women back and were also keeping their paychecks down. Now, this was recognized as a problem. And although barriers still exist and sexism in the workplace is a very real concern, particularly in what are considered to be male-dominant industries like the mining industry, uh, many women have indeed progressed further up that ladder and some have broken through that so-called glass ceiling. But what about in church? What's the place of a woman in the family of God? What's her role? Why does the Bible forbid her to, to teach or to exercise authority over a man? Is there a glass ceiling, even a, a stained glass ceiling, as some people have called it, for women in the church? Now, these are difficult questions to wrestle with 
And a large part of the reason why they're difficult is because we tend to think about the roles of men and women also in church in a framework that has not been set by Scripture, but a framework that has really been set by our culture. And that the danger of being overly simplistic, and I know that I am, our, our culture tends to think of the relationship between women either in terms of sexism or egalitarianism. Sexism is prejudice. It's discrimination, especially against women. Sexism is the idea that to be a male is to be superior and to be a female is inferior. Egalitarianism, on the other hand, treats women and men as being the same in the sense of being identical. And it tends to strip away the differences between the sexes. In our culture also, authority is often confused with power, as if the two are the same. And submission is connected to dominance. The Bible, however, speaks differently about these things. The Bible teaches us that while man and woman are equal, having both been created in the image of God, they are not identical. And whereas the roles of men and women are, in God's eyes, equal, those roles, too, are not identical. When it comes to the role of women in the church, when we approach this from a biblical perspective, it's not correct to speak about a glass ceiling, not even a stained glass ceiling. Because what we need to recognize first and foremost is that within God's church, there is no, there's no ladder to climb in the church. There's no being in power, so to speak. And there is certainly to be no lording it over one another. Because while our culture says that those in authority are those who have power, the Bible teaches us that those in authority in the church may not lord it over others, nor be domineering, but are to lead by a good example. And while our culture teaches us that those in leadership are here to exert control over those whom they lead, the Bible teaches us that those who lead are to do so by serving. And it's in that context that the God, is, the God who created us male and female, he has determined who does what in the church of God. Each one of us, male and female, are one in Christ and we are one in the gospel. Each one of us finds our identity not in what we do. We find our identity not in the position that we hold but we find our identity in Jesus Christ. And although we are one in Christ, we are not all alike. But to each God is given certain tasks and responsibilities as we live in submission to Him. And so turning to God's Word this morning, a particular focus on 1 Timothy chapter 2, I preach God's Word to you under this theme. The Gospel shapes the respective roles of men and women in the church. The gospel shapes the respective roles of men and women in the church. Two points. First, a clear command. And second, a right understanding. When it comes to the roles of men and women, the Bible has been used and abused 
by all sides. Some people have used 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 to 15 to claim that the Bible is sexist, that it has a very low view of women. Others have used these same verses to defend their own low view of women and to argue that men are somehow superior, that they have the right to domineer or be dominant over women. And it's important, therefore, that we, we read the Bible correctly and we read these Bible verses in the context of the rest of Scripture. And when it comes to us being created as male and female, the first place to begin is really then the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible emphasizes the high position not just of men, but also of women. When, when God created man, it says very clearly in Scripture that He created both the man and the woman in His image. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. And then it says this, male and female, He created them. <clears throat> when this was taught to the people, to God's people of old, they would have sat up and taken notice of this. In the ancient Near East and the days of Old Testament Israel, the nations around Israel, in, amongst the nations around Israel, the kings were seen to be sons of God. Why? Because they had the power. Women, on the other hand, had almost no power or status at all. But now the Bible teaches us that it's not for the realm of kings. It's not for the realm just of men. But the Bible teaches us that both men and women are created in the image of God. Further, when Christ came to the earth, he came to redeem women just as much as he came to redeem men. And going against the culture of his time, our Lord Jesus Christ met with and he spoke to many women. And when Mary was sitting at his feet as though she was one of his disciples while Martha's busy in the kitchen, the Lord Jesus approved of this and he said that she had chosen the good part which would not be taken away from her. And then as you go through the New Testament also, the New Testament describes the godly faith of various women, even contrasting their godliness to unbelieving men. I think, for example, of, of Zechariah, the priest. He responds in unbelief when he's told that his old wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. The angel Gabriel then goes to, get to Mary. Mary responds in faith when she's told that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on both men and women, and they all spoke of the wonderful works of God. Not just the men, the women did as well. And referring to this, the Apostle Peter, he quoted from the prophet Joel, where God said that in those last days, <coughs> excuse me, in those last days God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then as you go through the book of Acts, the book of Acts describes the ministry of women, such as Dorcas, who served the saints and who helped the widows. This is Acts chapter 9. 
the book of Acts talks about the unmarried daughters of Philip, the evangelist. They prophesied in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. Uh, the, bio, the book of Acts also speaks about a woman whose name was Priscilla. She's married to Aquila. And the two of them together taught Apollos and explained the way of God more accurately to him. That's Acts 18, verse 26. And then there are many, many women who are mentioned in the letters of Paul who had labored in the Lord with them. And then, of course, since we're reading from Timothy, let's also not forget the two women whom Paul notes are so influential in Timothy's own life. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, through whom he had heard the word of God. And so the Bible clearly teaches us that women and men are both equal in status and both women and men have a clear role to play in God's family, in the church. As it says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is where we need to begin. But being equal does not mean that we are identical. Nor does it take away the specific roles that God gives to both men and women in his church. And it appears as though this had become a problem in the church of Ephesus where Timothy was to minister. From Paul's first letter to Timothy, it's clear that there were false teachers who were leading people down the wrong pathway and not in conformity with the gospel. And this teaching was affecting many things, including what the Bible says about the roles of men and women and what they should be doing. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 says that there were people, they were forbidding people to marry. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 15 says that some women were listening to this. And as a result, the younger widows, they did not remarry. They did not have children or manage their own households, but rather they became idle gossips and busybodies. And it also says some had even turned away from the faith and were following Satan. And further, we can learn from 1 Timothy 2 that both the men and the women were failing to conduct themselves in the right manner in the worship services. And for this reason that the Apostle Paul, he begins to instruct the men in chapter 2 verse 8 to pray in every place, that is in every place of worship. And the men and not the women were to be the spiritual leaders in the church. And so Paul called them to step up to the plate and to act like godly men to take the initiative and to lead the congregation in prayer and worship. But when they do so, they must do so in godliness and in holiness. And then he goes on to instruct the women and says this in verse 9 and 10. Likewise also, that the women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, this does not teach, and it's clear from the rest of Scripture, that this does not teach a woman can never wear pearls or a gold necklace or have braided hair. We always need to interpret Scripture with the rest of Scripture. But what this does teach is that the women are called to be modest and to be godly. And for women to be modest and godly, this would be seen in the way that they present themselves. And it's commonly agreed that the way that uh, the, the women were dressing up, including their lavish hairstyles, it was to a certain extent, it was an act of defiance, an expression of in, independence from their husbands. Uh, they were making a statement 
asserting themselves and drawing attention to themselves in a manner that was not fitting for godly women living out of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul instructed them to rethink their wardrobe and to rethink their hairdo so that how they presented themselves on the outside reflected the godliness that was on the inside. And then we come to verse 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. First of all, there's a positive command. Let a woman learn. Now I say there's a positive command because this would not have been taken for granted that women were expected to learn. In the Roman world, women were considered to be academically inferior to men. And for many, the education of women was considered a waste of time. In fact, in our Western world, until more recently, this was also often the case. And further, in the Jewish context, women were not instructed to learn either. One Jew, in one Jewish source, the Babylonian Talmud, it said concerning the difference between men and women in worship, he says, the men came to learn and the women came to hear. But compare that to how Christ exalted the position of women by commending Mary, who sat at his feet like a regular disciple as she was, and she listened to his teaching. At the same time, the emphasis of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 is not so much in the fact that the women are to learn, but the emphasis is rather that they are not to, have, to teach or to have authority over a man. And that's from the, from the rest of the context of 1 Timothy. This is specifically in the context of the local church. 1 Timothy 3.15. And we cannot water this command down, nor may we dismiss it as applicable to Paul and Timothy in their day and to the church of Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but not to our day and not to our church here in Melville. While men and women are equal in the eyes of God, their roles are not identical. And when it comes to teaching and having authority in the church, a woman is not to teach a man, nor is she to assume a position of authority over him. More concretely, what that means is that we have male office bearers. And in Melville Church, that means the pastor, the elders, and the deacons are male. Rather, 1 Timothy says they are to be silent. They are to be quiet and in submission. And this describes not so much a lack of talking, but of how a woman is to come to church. 1 Peter 3 verse 4 says that women, that their adornment, adornment so the way that they should uh, dress themselves, should be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Women, then, must respect the leadership and the authority that God has given to the minister, the elders of the church. They should learn, but not teach. Now, this does not mean that women should not teach at all, or that they are to be completely silent at all times, just as those men who are not ordained as ministers, elders, or deacons are also not to be silent at all times, or never to teach. Not only are the older women to teach the younger women, 
But Paul says further in 1 Timothy that they, the older widows at least, are to pray night and day, and they are to help and to minister to their families and to others in the church. Women too then are to bear witness about Jesus, and they too are to share the gospel where they have the opportunity to do so. But they don't do so as ordained pastors and teachers. Rather, as for example Priscilla did with her husband Aquila in the context of their home, they can indeed teach others about the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But in the context of the church and the household of faith, it says they're not to teach or have authority over a man. And why is this? Well, the first thing we need to recognize, it is not because women are somehow inferior to men. We know that they're not. It's not because women don't know how to do this or just are unable to. We know that that's not true either. It's not because women are more gullible and less able to discern the truth from error. That's not true either. The simple reason that we should begin with is that women are not to teach or have authority over a man in the context of God's church because God says so. And in and of itself, that should be enough. But Paul does give some further reasoning. And he points to both the creation and the fall to explain also why he teaches this. And so we're going to see this in our second point, a right understanding. Verse 13, the Apostle Paul goes on and he says this. For Adam was formed, sorry, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve. What this teaches us is that in the beginning, even before the falling to sin, the man and the woman were created equal. But they were not created to be identical. Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Eve was created to be a helper. For her husband, so that together they might complete the work that God had given them to do. They're dancing a dance, the husband and a wife together, in the service to God. And the Bible says that Adam was formed first. Once again, that does not mean that he's superior, but it does mean that he was created to be the head of his household, and he was spiritually responsible for his family. Prior to the fall into sin, therefore, the man's chief responsibility was to work, to be provided for his family, to nurture and to care for them. And prior to the fall, the woman's first calling was that of childbearing and caring for a family. Now, after the fall, things changed so that Adam's work became toilsome labor. He would contend with thorns and thistles, and he would eat the bread in the sweat of his face. And after the fall, things changed so that Eve would experience pain and heartache in what was to have been the most glorious calling. And she'd suffered pain in childbirth. But the principle of the headship of the man over the woman, that is the husband over the wife, was there from creation. And this principle would continue. And this principle of headship would not only be seen in marriage, but it would also be seen in church. And this principle is for our good. Where it's rejected and the created orders where men and women is ignored, society will suffer, families will suffer, and the church will suffer. Uh, this happened when Eve took the fruit and then gave some to Adam when he fell into sin. 
1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This is hard stuff to work through, but we need to understand this carefully. Paul is not blaming Eve for the fall into sin, as though it was her fault, and poor old Adam was just simply sucked in. The rest of Scripture, I think, particularly the book, letter to the Romans of Paul, proves to us that that cannot be what he's thinking or, me- or teaching here. It's not Eve's fault in that sense. But rather, when Eve took the fruit and gave it, ate it and gave some to her husband, the created order of the man being the head of the family and the woman being his helper was pushed to the side. And instead of Adam showing true leadership and headship, he stood by while she was being deceived. And when Adam sinned, while Eve might have been deceived, he sinned knowing what he was doing. And therefore, when the Lord God came to the garden, he did not come looking for Eve. He came looking for Adam. Genesis 3 verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and he said, Where are you? Adam was responsible. He was the responsible head of his wife, but Adam failed. And that led to the fall into sin and all its consequences. And this should be a lesson for us today. What we read, and what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is not just a word for women, but it's also a word for the men. It's an important word for the men of our day and for the men of our church. Because men, it is your job to lead in the home and in the church. You are called to show true spiritual headship. That's why we read from Titus chapter 2. Older men, you are called to be sober-minded, to be dignified, to be self-controlled, to be sound in faith, in love and in patience. And so for those of you who are somewhat older, I ask you, is that what you are like? What are you doing and how are you living so that you might grow in these things? And if you're married and if you have a family, are you leading your family And are you directing them also in the right way? And how are you growing so that you might also be in the position, should you be called to do so, to lead God's church in a responsible manner? Titus 2 also speaks to the young men. It instructs you to be self-controlled, to show yourself to be a model of good works, to show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Young men, is that how you are living? Is that what you are striving for? Why is it that women so often show more spiritual maturity and even leadership than men? Is this really a fault of our women or is this a fault of our men? That we're not taking God's word seriously and not being the men whom God calls us to be. The world will tell you that to be a man is to love beer and footy. Is to go biking or to be working out in the gym. Of course, women can do these things too. But what I mean to say here is that the world would like to define manhood in these sorts of terms. 
But you can be a man without wanting or liking to do any of those things. To be a man means that you're to take on the role of headship that God has given you. That you're going to prepare for this. Or that you're going to practice it. And so older men, are you doing that in the place that God has put you? And younger men, are you preparing yourself for that? Or are you wasting your youth on worthless pursuits? On spending your years as one who has no commitments and no desire to grow? Are you growing in faith and in knowledge and in obedience to God's call in your life? Or are you wasting these best years of your life? Through online gaming, or God forbid it, things that are even worse. You see, just as Adam had no leg to stand on when he blamed Eve for his fall into sin, so we have no leg to stand on if we as men fail to show true leadership and godliness that is expected of us. And sisters, Titus chapter 2 also tells you what to do. Old women, you are to be reverent. You're not to be slanderers or slaves to much wine. You are to teach, Titus 2 says. Yes, it says very clearly you are to teach, and you are to teach good things. What are you to teach? What well, says that you are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be working at home, to be kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? So that the word of God might not be reviled. And so the question comes to us, and also to our older women, are we doing these things? You see, I'm your pastor, but I am a man. And as such, it's not for me to go about during the day to seek out the wives who are at home and, and to tell them what it means to be a godly wife and a mother. The Bible says this is actually the job of you as sisters. To teach one another, to encourage one another, to live according to the gospel. And so let's not take those jobs away or ignore the things that the Bible gives to your sisters to do. But 1 Timothy chapter 2 doesn't end there. It goes on to say this in verse 15. This is difficult. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is a challenging Bible verse. There are a number of different interpretations given to it. What I consider this to mean is that women will walk in the way of salvation not, as the false teachers of Ephesus taught, not by abandoning their roles of being wives and mothers, but in being these things. In other words, what it's teaching you is to, to be godly wives, to raise your children in love, to fear God, and to manage your household well. Now, this does not mean, of course, that women are saved by having children. It doesn't mean that you're less of a woman if, or less of a part of the church if you're not married or you've not received children. Now, we need to be sensitive to that, particularly in a church which, which is blessed to have so many families, just also younger families. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches us that those who are single or widowed, and we may also include those who have not received children, they are in no ways lesser in God's church, but rather, like the Apostle Paul himself, you may use the position that you are in to serve God in different ways. 
But the point that 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 makes is that the gospel in no ways overthrows the respective roles of men and women, nor does it overthrow the high calling of being a wife and a mother. And to the contrary, the gospel confirms you in these things. And so where to from here? Where does this leave us? Well, sometimes we can be very quick to respond to a text such as 1 Timothy chapter 2 and condemn all the churches that are female pastors and then pat ourselves in the back because we don't have that here in Melville Church. It would be better, however, to take a sober look at ourselves and to ask ourselves how we as church are being shaped by the gospel and being shaped by the word of God. Also, when it comes to how we see one another and how we interact with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Men, if you're married, do you in your marriages, as well as whether you're married or not, do you men in this church, do you honor your wives and do you honor the women of this church and in broader society? But let's just talk here first of all about your wives and, and, and the women church. Do you honor them as those create an image of God and heirs to eternal life with you? And then also those who are not Christian, do you also respect them and speak and act respectfully to them also? Do we encourage the sisters of our church to serve God fully in the position that He's placed them? Do we recognize sexist and demeaning comments and attitudes towards women as sinful? And do we actively encourage our wives, as well as the women of Melville Church, to flourish under Christ and to serve Him with joy? And sisters, are you willing to humble yourself before God, to submit to His Word, and to be content with the task that God has given you? Are you ready to consider what God has to say about the place and the position of women in the home and in the church? And are you ready to live under Christ and to serve Him as a wife in the home, if that is where God has called you to do, and as a sister in this church? We live in a confused world where the God-ordained distinction between male and female is no longer accepted. But God has ordained that men be men, that women be women. And He's ordained it in this way for our good. So let us live as men and let us live as women in submission to the Word of God, taking our direction from God and from what He has commanded us. Men, be the leaders you're called to be. Women, submit to those whom God has placed over you and learning in quietness, in faith, in love and holiness. For in this way, you will be blessed and God's name will be praised. Amen. Let's respond to that. We'll sing together from a book of praise uh, from Psalm 128, verse 1, 2, and 3.
Well, let's pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, in the beginning you created us, male and female. You created us in your image, equal and one. You redeemed us in Christ, and you redeemed both male and female. And we are one in Christ. Father in heaven, we pray that as we grapple with the the meaning of that, even as we also grapple with the fact that being one does not make us identical in roles and responsibilities, we ask that we may humble ourselves, that we may seek the instruction of your word, and that we may live from that. And Father, we pray that you'll strengthen us all as congregation in that. Bless our men in our congregation. That as men that we may seek to reflect the headship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. And to serve our wives and our families in a way which is pleasing to you and is for the good of them. Strengthen myself as pastor and the office bearers of this church that we may be good shepherds of your church, not domineering, but being an example to the flock and reflecting our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Grant also that we might not have ungodly, uh, sexist views where we speak and act in demeaning ways or we seek to strip women of the glory that they have in Christ. And grant that we may be respectful and honor them as heirs with us to eternal life. We pray, Lord, also for the sisters of our congregation. We live in a world which is not only confused, but also in a world which has very firm views and a very strong narrative when it comes to what it means with respect to male and female and what the problems are in this world. And so, Lord, we also pray that our sisters too may seek their instruction and their guidance from your word. And we pray also, Heavenly Father, that they may seek to be godly, and that they also may seek to submit themselves to what you have to say and how you would have things directed in the household of faith. Father, we, we do live in a world where, where even the distinction between male and female is being blurred to such an extent that it's being denied. Lord, it's a, it's a hard wor world for our, our children to grow up in. May they too take their cues, not from the society around them, or even what their friends may say or how they may act, but that they too may take their cue and their understanding of what it means to be male and female from your word, from the gospel of grace. 
Lord, we pray that we may all be humble, but that we may also be faithful in these things. Father in heaven, we do pray for your blessing upon us, strengthen us. We also pray for those who are unwell, recuperating. Lord, we do pray for those who uh, have gone through or are suffering from the coronavirus, from the flu at this time. Uh, we also do pray, Lord, for uh, the emergency services and for our hospitals and for the staff and for everybody who, in one way or another, are called to care for those who are unwell. So in these times and uh, this, these weeks and months where, where there's uh, so much trouble, also finding staff and uh, seeing that things can be run well, people can be well cared for. Lord, we also pray for Sister Larissa van Bannevelt, and we thank you that the surgery for her could go well. And we pray that you'll strengthen her as she recuperates. Also thank you that her brother Henry Hamblink also continues to do well. We also pray for those amongst us who have, have health concerns, also more of a, of a longer-term concern also. We pray, Lord, that you'll care for them also. We think also of those who are struggling with, with, with cancer, with different growths and so forth. And Lord, we pray also there that, that you'll grant your peace and your, your comfort to them. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll bless us. Also in the remainder of this day, we look forward to being with your people again this afternoon. Bless also a time of fellowship uh, where we may also seek to, uh, to be an encouragement to one another and also to build one another up in the faith. We pray that you also bless the thank offerings we seek to give now. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, for the gifts that you give to us. And we pray, the Lord, that we may use them to, to serve you, to praise you, and responsibly in a manner which is pleasing to you. And that we also pray, Heavenly Father, that you accept our gifts of thankfulness uh, as, as an offering that is pleasing to you. And we also then pray for your blessing over our church and also over our future also. Well, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It would normally be the time now to give our thank offerings to the Lord. The collection will indeed be taken uh, after the service. Uh, um, the bags will be at the back of this main part of the, the worship area of, of this building. And as mentioned also, that uh, details are also given to you on uh, given that collection online. That brings us then to the close of this service, and we'll sing together first of all from Psalm 111, verse 5.
Lift up your heart unto the Lord to receive his blessing and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.